Isn't it awesome when God just steps in the room and does something? It's amazing. We never want to miss out on that. And um, if you guys have been around for any length of time or you've been popping in and out, you know that we've been in the Sermon on the Mount for the last 21 weeks, <laughs> plus a few. So the Sermon on the Mount is finished, and we're starting a new series called The Generosity Gospel. Cool name. And I feel, we feel like it's just an appropriate time for God to just move us into a place of, of generosity. And I felt to start this, um, this morning my message just by reminding us of our, of our vision as a church. Um, I think it's on the next slide. Yeah, st- I, I don't normally have slides, so I'm t- like, this church is big into slides. Um, I'm more into the slides in the playground with my 16-month-old 16, 16 son, but... Slides are cool. Stepping into the story of God and the ways of Jesus for the sake of Cape Town. And we've been focusing on the ways of Jesus for the last probably half of the year, talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And I felt like what we're doing with this generosity gospel is we're actually going to go back to what it means to step into the story of God. And, um, you know, every one of us lives in some kind of story. Whether you like it or not, or whether you know it or not, but whoever you are, you're living in some kind of story. And um, I think a lot of us are grappling with, like, what is my story? I'm turning 40 in Feb, and I'm like, woo, what's my, what's my story? <laughs> like, who am I? <laughs> what have I done with my life? Where am I going? Jeez. Okay, maybe, maybe those of you who are younger are can't resonate with it, but it's quite a big thing. But, um, you know, a lot of people um, talk that we actually, you can, you can argue with someone, you can tell someone about your faith, you can try and flipping Twitter comments and Facebook, um, you know, be the Facebook uh, comments brigade and try and, like, convince someone of your arguments. But actually, people are way more convinced by story. I don't know if that resonates with you or if you've ever thought about why in 2022 people are like obsessed with superheroes and superhero movies and fantasy. It's because we want to get caught up in a story that transcends our lives. And people are like, we're so surrounded by things and stuff and information. It's like facts. You can just, like you don't have to go and get the world book encyclopedia or go to the library to find out about something. You just have facts. At the, at, at the click of a finger. So people are, have realized that information is not going to transform our lives, so they're looking for a better story. Does that make sense? So um, we understand the world through story. And there's something about stepping into the story of God where when we step into His story, His story envelops our story, and our story takes on a new meaning. So if you've ever read the Bible, it's basically... Most of it is just a book of story, stories of ordinary, young, old, men and women, broken people, don't have it all together, but somehow their little story gets enwrapped in the story of God, and then it's the story of all the stories culminating in the greatest story of the one who is the Word, the one who is the beginning and is the end, and all of our stories and our meaning is found in Him. As my friend Julian says, I'll preach myself happy. Um, but, um, 
You know, I think, I think sometimes because of the way our, we live and we're so immersed in our culture is that we think, cool, I'm going to live my life and I've got my job and I've got my um, family and I've got my mates and I've got my holidays that I go on and I've got my church and like God just becomes a part of our story. Church becomes a part of our story. But actually, I feel like what God wants to do is he wants to flip it on its head this morning and show you, no, he in our lives is the story and everything else fits into his story. And if he is at the head, everything else will find its proper place. But if he's not at the head, it's like our lives don't find the right order. Thank you, somebody. So... I just felt God say to me, and, and, and it might sound, why are you talking about this when you're talking about generosity? But I felt God saying, you, you cannot call people into something until you've called them out of something. And I feel like it's really important this morning as we go into this series that actually just God says, I want to call you out of something before I call you into something. I've never thought about this, but God had to call the the, the people out of Egypt and slavery before he could call them into the promised land. So what is the story that God is calling us out of? And I just felt like there were some things in our culture that God wanted to just highlight because the thing about culture is when you're in something, it's quite hard to actually recognize it. It's like that classic story of the frog in the, in the pot or the kettle. Like, if you just heat it up over time, a frog actually will just, will just die because it doesn't rec- recognize that it's getting boiled to death. Because it's just slowly, the temperature is just increasing. And it's so immersed in the situation, it, it can't recognize it. And I feel like because of how pervasive our culture is, sometimes we actually just need to take a step back to actually say, wow, what is this culture we're living in? And like, where is it not aligned with what God has called us to be and who God has called us to be? Um, And the first thing I just felt is like, God calling us out of a culture of comfort. And comfort is the illusion that apathy will result in fulfillment. Comfort is the illusion that apathy will result in fulfillment. Like, I'll just sit on my couch and binge like 15 episodes, and at the end of that, I'm going to feel awesome. You tell me how you feel at the end of that at 2 a.m. But there's something about the way that our culture's transitioned, especially in the last few years, that um, we just like the, the, the temptation, the draw card is just like be comfortable. And you know, God's speaking to you when you're looking, in, when you're doing your makeup in the morning. And you see a quote on a a jar of moisturizing cream that says, great things never come from comfort zones. (laughs) I literally saw that. Like, I don't know, it's like a local brand. When I was doing my moisture routine. (laughs) Great things never come from comfort zones. And I just, like, just hit me. You know, God... God never wants us to live in a place of comfort. When I, when I talk about comfort, I mean like comfort zones. Because we were, talk, we were talking about it during worship. He's called us to be people of hope, which means he's called us to be expansive people. And what comfort does is it causes you to be so concerned about yourself that you actually start to 
without knowing it, put up blinkers to those who are around you. And I'm not talking about the type of comfort where, where the Bible says, he is the God of all comfort, or blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You see, what's actually happened is that the enemy has taken this idea of comfort, which, which is actually an attribute of who God is, and he's just perverted it to say, like, just pursue just being in the lap of that couch with your remote and having everything at your fingertips when actually I've called you for more. And I feel like God just wants to break something of that spirit of, of, of comfort because comfort is actually one of the greatest gifts we can have as people of the kingdom, to bring people comfort when they mourn. And I don't know if you've been aware of it, but there's a lot of people out there who need the true comfort of God. He says, I see you and I'm with you in what you're walking in. The other, the, one of the other attributes of our culture, and just to say, guys, I'm the son of a preacher, so when preachers do that thing of like four C's, it like drives me crazy because I grew up with it, and I'm like, please, just like be a little bit original. Like don't just try and find four words that start with the same letter, but I literally woke up the other morning and these things came to me, so I was like, well, I'll, I'll just go with it and, you know, you guys can deal with it later. Um, convenience. Um, my definition of convenience is if it's easier, it's better. I mean, you've probably got a better one, but um, if it's easier, it's better. And it's like, you know what convenience does? Convenience undermines process and maturing in the pursuit of immediate gratification and satisfying myself right now. So it's like, cool, I'm just going to like, have everything at my disposal right now and I get used to just being able to get what I want whenever I want and actually God's called me to a life of process and patience and actually convenience sometimes just it becomes so like in your life you're like there and I can just like flipping app and then there's a guy there from Zimbabwe giving me my food on a bike um, by Uber Eats or Mr. Delivery or whatever it is um, check is 60-60, the whole thing, you know? Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we all, I mean, if, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying like make your life difficult for the sake of it, but the point is that God has called us to be part of his kingdom, not some kingdom of convenience. And often what, what we need to see the kingdom come is we just need to sometimes stand in patience. And I feel like one of our biggest um, tools of warfare is patience just wear the enemy down with your patience like the fruits of the spirit love joy peace patience which means if patience is a fruit of the spirit the enemy is not patient so patience is actually spiritual warfare and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to bring a heavy because we all love it when you can just like order your food and you don't have to think about it and all of those things. But there's something where God says, I don't want you to translate that to a posture of your heart where you think you can just, you know, I'll, I'll declare something over your life and then it's just going to happen immediately because you're so used to things just happening Im immediately. And for us to be people of generosity, we actually need to move ourselves 
on purpose out of a place of convenience sometimes because it means that we learn that there's a process and we can invite other people into our lives in their process and be generous with our time. And I'll speak about time just now. Um, and then the, la- the, the last two, consumerism and comparison. Consumerism, I am what I own. And, um, you know, Jesus said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? You know what the ultimate consumer is? A locust. Literally, just like consume. Devour. The enemy is described as a devourer. And if we get to a point where we're living our lives where we're actually like taking more than we are um, creating, it's almost like we've joined with that spirit of devouring of the enemy. And God says, I haven't created you to be a consumer. I've created you to be a co-creator and a producer. And I think sometimes what consumerism does is it actually draws us into that thing of like, I just want to have all these things. And God says, it's great. He loves to bless his children with good gifts, but actually Living as a consumer is like living your life there where God's called you. It's like I've called you to be a tree that's planted by streams of water that you would produce fruits in season that other people would come and eat of your life and come and live under your shade because I've created you to be a person of hope, a person of life. So don't just consume, but start to produce and start to create. And then the last one is comparison. Comparison is a curse. I just want to say that comparison is a curse. Because comparison says, if you succeed, I fail. Which means I can't rejoice when you succeed because then it automatically means that I'm failing. But the kingdom of God says, your success is my success. The kingdom of God says, if I gain a victory, I give it away to you for free. Because I've walked through this and now it's mine and I can give it away. And the enemy loves to keep us in a place of comparison because if we live in that place, then we don't become generous people to say, actually, everything that I've got in my life, what God's brought me through, it's my testimony. My testimony is your prophecy. Here, have it for free. That's the type of people God wants us to be. And some of us, we just need to get practical about it. I decided to delete Instagram off my phone because the thing that I struggled most with on Instagram was comparison with other people in ministry. Like for me, for most of you, you think like that's the most ridiculous thing. Like why do you get upset if you see someone posting about some conference that they're speaking at? It's like, don't you, like, don't you have anything better to compare yourself to? But um, it became this thing of like, when you see other people stepping into the place that you want to be and you're not in it, then you start to compare yourself to them and you live in the shadow of someone else instead of living in the calling of God over your life. So it might be that. It might just be someone who's got the flipping beauty products that you want or the house that you want or whatever it is. It doesn't really matter. The point is comparison is a curse. And when you compare yourself to someone else, you'll always lose. And you'll always compare yourself to someone that you can't compete with. Wait until you have kids and someone else has kids. Your kid sleeps and theirs doesn't or the other way around. It's like a treadmill. And the thing about a treadmill is you run and you never get anywhere. And God's called us on a journey to take ground for his kingdom. 
So some of us just need to get off the treadmill of comparison and start running the race God's called us to, to take ground. I know I'm going fast, but um, I know we don't have a lot of time. So what is the story that if God is calling us out of those things, and I felt like it was important to identify them, because the thing about convenience, consumerism, comparison, um, what was the other one? Comfort. It's like, it is, it's just like, it's all around our life. It's, it's, you know, the Bible says, be in the world, but not of the world. And it's like, we, in, it's not hard for us in our culture to be in the world. We're not the kind of people who are like, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, you know, our, our danger is not withdrawing ourselves from the world. Our danger is being so immersed in the world that we don't look any different. And I think what God says to us is stay in the world, but recognize the things that aren't of me so that you can begin to bring my kingdom and bring people into a better story. And what is the story God is calling us into? He's calling us into the gospel of his radical generosity. Next slide. I think that's the next slide. You can't be immersed in God's story and see your life as your own. When you're called into a story, you're called into new life. God is not part of your life. He is your life. He's the hope, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Everything flows from him. And you know, sometimes I think we like, we dial down the gospel to this like very transactional like, Jesus came, he died for your sins, signed on the dotted line, when you get to the afterlife, you know, you can say that if I got hit by a bus on the way home, I've got my ticket, I've got my insurance policy. And we dial down the gospel to this thing of like, have I made a decision? Where actually the story of the gospel is the story of the good news of Jesus, of the kingdom of God breaking in. And you know that in the ancient times, when God created the world, every other story every other creation story, you had this tyrant God, or you had these, like, the war of the gods, and they were like, the world was created out of this chaos, and then they created man, and like, man was to be a servant. But in the Hebrew culture, you had a good God, and you had man who was created in his image to create with him. And so when you understand how the story starts, you understand that it's so important that we root ourselves in the goodness of God. Because what happened in the garden? The garden is like, if I think of the garden of Eden, that is, like, that is like the paradise of generosity. It's like, think of being like the most lush, abundant place you've ever been. I don't know. Newlands Forests. I know Josh and some of you guys climbed Kilimanjaro, those like, those epic, like lush forests, just like, they're, like Adam and Eve had everything that they needed. And you know the crazy thing is the enemy came and convinced them that they were missing out. It's like, it's like the roots, I think I've got this on one of the slides. Uh, the roots of all sin is the suspicion that God is not good. Think about it. The, the serpent came to Eve and said, 
Like, God's holding out on you. Like, if he wanted you to give you everything, you'd be able to eat from that tree. In fact, he'd given them everything. And the enemy will try and convince us that God's not good. When in fact, if we live from a place immersed in the reality that God is good, then we can be generous people because we like, God's not holding out on me. God's actually given me everything. And so the gospel is not just some um, great insurance policy, but it's actually the breaking in of the generosity of God into our lives. You know, the first thing that happened after Adam and Eve sinned, they went into a place of shame and hiddenness. They felt like God's holding out on me. I'm going to cover myself. And what happened? They immediately went inward looking. So as soon as you step into a place of like the enemy convincing you that God's not good, the result of that is you'll become inward looking and focused on yourself. But the gospel is that God comes and it says he covered them with skins. He comes and he covers us and he invites us to a place of being co-creators with him. All other religions ask us to sacrifice ourselves to please God. The gospel says, no, God himself sacrificed himself so that you could eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. I know that sounds quite graphic when you say it like out of context like that. But even on, even on the cross, Jesus was hanging there and he said, we, we know the story, he said to the man on his left or right, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Even when he was naked and he had nothing left, he was overflowing with generosity, giving himself away. This is the God who's given himself away and he's called us to give ourselves away. I want to read this from Matthew 10 in the message. It's um, Matthew 10, 6 to 8. It says, or 5 to 8. Jesus sent his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Or freely you've received, freely you give. Freely we've received, so freely we give. And when you understand that everything that God calls us to, he's given to us freely, it releases you to be free with yourself. You've been treated generously, so live generously. So what does God call us into? What does this culture of radical generosity look like? It looks like four things. We, people, we are people who are generous with our time, our money, our homes, and relationships. I'm sure there's way more, but these are the ones that um, we felt God wanted to touch on. And you know, when we, when we look at our culture and all those things, like comfort, convenience, comparison, all those things, you know, the reality is God is not and never is. He's never reacting or responding. And you know, that's the easiest thing we get into. If, like, if you've ever been in a, a situation of conflict or confrontation, what's the easiest thing to do? Just like react, defensive, respond. No, God is ruling and reigning. 
So God doesn't actually need to react to those things. He's ruling and reigning. He's got a better way. And he's saying, guys, I'm calling you into something that far supersedes this culture you're in. And so I feel like God is calling us to be generous in these four areas. And what we're going to try and do in this series, I think, is unpack each one of them. So I'm just going to touch on them briefly, not so much in, in detail. But I just feel like there's something God wants to unlock in our hearts. I don't know if you guys have heard the phrase, the attention economy. But basically, we live in an attention economy where the biggest asset right now is your attention. In fact, I was listening to a podcast. A guy wrote a book called Stolen Focus, where basically he's arguing, and and then the subtitle is, why you can't pay attention. There's like this war for our attention. And I wanted to speak to this under time because I feel like God says he wants to restore to us a biblical understanding of time. Because I don't know about you guys, but it feels like, man, we gotta live and hustle. We gotta, especially in November, bro. Next thing is Black Friday, then Summer Monday, then it's Christmas, New Year's. It's like every time of year, every time of year, it's like, at work. October, you make a phone call, someone's like, yes, where did the year go to, eh? No, nah, this time of the year, no, nah, it's crazy. No, nah, it's ridiculous. No, nah, everyone's lost their minds. No, nah, I can't, do any, can't get anything done. No, nah, the shops are mad. Everyone's down from Joburg. All I hear is German accents at the waterfront. It's like, it's crazy. Like, it's that time of year. I'm never going to get anything done. No, nah, running off my feet. I'm running off my feet. You've all said that this last week. I promise you, you've said it in some form. And I know I'm making a joke, but the Bible says that we live from a place of rest. And the world wants us to live, and the enemy wants us to live in a place of toil. And when you live in a place of toil, it means that you also, it's like you're on that treadmill, and you're always just trying to like battle, like, I never, I never have enough time. And it's like the joke of Cape Town where guys are like, they get to a Friday and they're like, yes, I've had a hard week. (laughs) Work till like 12.30 p.m. on a a Friday and guys are like, yes, I'm I'm shattered, eh? Do you want to hang out this Friday night? No, I'm shattered. (laughs) I'm just like totally broken. It's like, it's a hectic week, eh? Had to be in the office four times this week. Yes, heavy. (laughs) Cape Town. Guys work hard in Cape Town. (laughs) Just go to like a restaurant on a, on a, on a lunchtime weekday. It's like, does anyone work in the city? <laughs> but the reality is we can get our hearts stuck in that place where it's like, if I just do a little bit more work, if I just like do a little bit more graft, if I just get caught up in hustle, and actually we're living under the curse of the toil and God's invited us to a place of rest. And if you live... Under the favor of God, the favor of God just means the blessing of God, realizing that it's not all mine. What I achieve is not just me, but actually I'm partnering with God. And I'm inviting God in to say, Lord, like this is what I offer you, but like won't you come and do more than I can do? When you live in a place of favor, it will always get you further than a place of labor. Cooler, that's a cool preacher's. But I just, I, I really did feel like God just wanted to knock on this. Like, 
and I mentioned that one word, but heaven is outside of time. And many of us, I think, feel like we're in a place where we're behind the time of what God wants for our lives. I don't know if any of you have just felt like, I'm just like trying to grasp, like God's spoken things in my life, and I'm trying to like go after them, but sometimes I feel like I've just missed, I've just missed out. And there's an amazing uh, scripture, you can remember it easily because it's very easy to remember, Hebrews 11, 11. It says, I'll read it. I don't want to get it wrong. Sarah, though she was past her time, received power by faith. Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age because she considered him faithful who had promised. Or another translation says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the opportune time. And you might know the story of Abraham and Sarah, but she was like in her 80s or 90s. God gave her a promise she'd have a son. And it says, by faith, she received power to conceive even though she'd missed the time of her opportunity. And God, I feel like, wants to breathe fresh faith into our hearts. And he says, even if you felt like you've missed the window of opportunity in your life, there's a promise that by faith, you can pull that back into the place, and I will release power for you to conceive because he who promised is faithful. The promise-making God is the promise-keeping God. God has spoken promises over your life, and he's going to keep them. And he says, raise your hope because time is just something I've created. It's not the enemy of all the purposes I have in your life. Money. We'll go into this a lot in this um, series, and I'm over time, so all I want to say is that one of the tragedies of life is that some of us create enough wealth for ourselves and neglect to see that God has called us to be fruitful and multiply and have a vision that goes beyond ourselves to multiply to others. And we'll touch on the money thing, but I feel like God says, I've created you to be an abundant people. Don't live with a scarcity mindset. Don't be like Adam and Eve in the garden. You've got everything around you and you're just saying like God's holding out on me. Because I feel like there's something that's gonna happen in our church where he's gonna take us into a season of radical generosity where we're no longer concerned about surviving but we start to be people who thrive. Because people who are trying to survive just think, how can I not die? But people who thrive say, how can I live in the fullness of what God has for me? The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that you may have life and life in all its fullness. I'll just say this. I think especially as South Africans, we can live with a scarcity mindset. We even have an app that tells us when the power is going off. Like, I know it's a joke, but actually, it can, be, it can, like, invade our lives. And God says, no, heaven is always increasing. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He's, heaven is always increasing. There's so much more for us. And we're going to go deep into the money thing. The last two is just homes and relationships. I feel like as Cape Tonians, God just says, just open up your homes. It's going to be a prophetic statement of generosity. We're not good at it. Go to Joburg and you'll find out. Like, 
you're there for like five minutes and someone will invite you around for a bra at their house, in their place. Like you get, get to know someone in Cape Town like 12 months later, oh, do you want to come around to my spot? And I know we've got cool mountains and restaurants and all those things, but there's something about inviting people into our house. So this is a place of belonging. And I feel like something God's going to do in us is he's going to say, open up your homes. You're going to see the kingdom come. You're going to see people come into your houses. Their lives are going to be changed. I was at a, I was a meeting on Wednesday. The mayor was addressing some people. They reckon in the next 10 years, a million people are going to move to Cape Town. They've done the stats. Where are those million people going to end up? Who's going to be a community that's going to say we're going to welcome people in? And then the last one is relationships. You know, Jesus invested his life into 12 losers. Like literally, he would have been far more successful. His strategy would have been far more productive if he'd chosen like high net worth individuals who had everything going for them. But you know, as people of the kingdom, we're called to replicate our lives, not our strategies or our ideas. And we're called to open up our hearts and our lives to invite people into a place of being known, knowing us and being deeply known. And people are desperate to be known. People are desperate to be known. You know, the strategy of the enemy this last season was to isolate people. Because he knows if he isolates us, he can get at the things of our heart. That's why Eve was alone when he spoke to her. And that's why God said it's not good for man to be alone. And some of us, we just need a, like a recalibrating of our relationships. God says, like, I've called you not just to curate your life with the people that you want to hang around with, but I've called you to live open-hearted and invite people in. You know, there's amazing... Scripture, Psalm 23, it says, he sets a table before you in the presence of your. And we often say like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feast at the table and my enemies can watch me eat. Like devil, watch me worship. <laughs> like, ha, ha, ha. But um, there's also an aspect where he sets a table for us in the presence of our enemies in our lives. Because the gospel says, if he set a table before me in the presence of my enemies, my enemies can come and eat with me. And the kindness and the grace and the goodness of God will overwhelm them and enemies become friends at the table of God. Luke, do you want to just come up and play? Sorry, guys, I know it's gone a bit long. It's what is time. Let's just stand, guys. If you, if you, I know it's four minutes past 11. If you need to go or you have to rush off, no one's going to look around. But um, I do feel like God wants to do something in our hearts. So let's just take a moment to close our eyes as we respond to this. And I just felt like I should read this scripture over you guys, over us, actually. And it's the picture of the end of all things. 
And it's just a beautiful picture of the source of our generous lives. Revelation 22, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And through the middle of the streets of the city, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be it, and His servants will worship Him. And there's this beautiful picture of heaven with this river that's just flowing, and there's a tree, and it's always producing fruit. And there's just life, and there's no, there's no lack, and there's abundance. There's no scarcity. It says that even the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And I feel like God just invites us to say, I want to bring a deep healing to your hearts in a place where it's like this culture is just, the picture I had is like, it's like these barbs. I don't know if you've ever seen a fish hook, but a fish hook is like got a barb at the end. So you can't just take out the hook without ripping and destroying whatever it's grabbed hold of and I saw a picture of these barbs in our hearts and our spirits and as God began to just pour out that river of life those barbs began to dissolve and it's like he wants to remove places where these things have got got a grips with our heart I feel for some of us like fear has attached itself to our spirit so I want us to do something. I want you to put your hands in front of you and I want you to I want you to clench your hands as hard as you can. Like if you can put out both hands, put out both hands. And just like you can feel that tension and you can just like think of those things. The the comparison. I feel like he's breaking a curse of comparison over some of us. Where we've been sucked into comfort or convenience or whatever it is. Now just release your hands and open them up. And as you do that, I feel like the, the Lord says, I'm, I'm dissolving those barbs. I'm bringing you into a place of freedom. I know I may not have spoken too much on actual generosity this morning. But I feel like God says, before I can call you into that, I want to call you out. So right now, Lord, as we stand with our hands open before you, Lord, we say we will be open-handed people. We let go of consumerism. We let go of comfort. We let go of convenience. We let go of all these things, Lord. And we open our hands to receive. And he says, freely you receive, so freely you give. Some of you just need to receive goodness of God. It's going to take a moment as we stand here because I believe we need to just 
Some of us, we actually just need to be in that awkward moment of like feeling uncomfortable with our time because he's saying, I'm going to redeem time. If you felt like when I was sharing that story about Sarah and Abraham and how she had 